This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, plastic bags will soon be no more in Canada. But are cotton bags, paper bags, all these other things going to save the environment? Lily Woodbury, environmentalist with Surfriders Canada, she's out of Tofino, tells us the single-use plastic ban, is it worth it? Celebrating humble starts, good, bad, what do we look at climate change and where we're at today and how much more work is to come? Why do we get angry? The world of weird things with Greg Fish breaks down the research into where anger comes from and how it motivates us to do both good and bad. Plus, are you okay with hot dogs and more coming up on the Shift Daily Podcast. Last night on the Shift, we had a conversation about the grocery bags. I promised you that I would get an expert. Here's the expert. Her name's Lily. Uh, Lily is a friend of the shift. Lily lives in Tofino, BC. She's uh, does really, I guess, well, you're an environmentalist. It's your study. Like you literally study all these things and uh, your real action piece is, I mean, you're a surfer. So you love the beaches, caring for the beaches. That's really the core of where this lands for you around all other topics. So you've been busy. Welcome back. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been a, a hot minute, hasn't it? And Thank you for that introduction. It's a, a high honor to be a friend of the shift. Aww. And you're right. I'm calling in from Tofino, BC. It's also National Indigenous Peoples Day. So I want to recognize that I'm also calling in from the traditional and unceded territory of Tolokia First Nation here in rainy, shocker, Tofino. <laughs> rainy, shocker. Shocker. I love it. Calling it a self-tanner summer. <laughs> yeah, is it? Hey, yeah, it's a spray on summer. Yes. We'll see how it goes. Might get better. Um, okay, so here you are. I mean, you, you know plastics in the ocean as a big one. I mean, that's come up as uh, something that you see as you do your beach cleanups and all those things that you do. The um, uh, grocery bags, let's start there because we're going to talk about the plastic ban in general, um, the environmental lens, the beach. I'm really curious about the water and beach lens, that one in particular, um, and just your overall opinion about, um, you know, Loblaws is saying no more uh, plastic bags. Walmart has already pulled plastic bags. Most of the breweries seem to have pulled the plastic rings. Even the bread companies still use plastic bags, but they're, they've pulled the plastic tie tabs. They're using paper tie tabs. Some of these things uh, are awesome, right? Did we really need plastic rings on our booze? Do we really yeah. need plastic twist ties on our, uh, on our bread? So this yeah. is, that stuff is great news. I argue the straw argument and this paper straw thing of why are we using a straw anyway? We don't use a straw with our coffee. I don't. Why can't we drink our apple juice that way? I don't use a straw. Some people do require one, so it's important sure. to recognize that, but a lot of folks also don't. So, so let the people who require one use one. My grandma used to use one before she passed. She used to always have a bendy straw. That was the way that she could drink easily because her arthritis in her hands were so bad, right? She couldn't tip a cup. Yeah. So let those people have their straws. I mean, isn't that the point, right, is to just use them as quality of life and don't be reckless with it? Isn't that the point? Yeah. I think it's about quality of life and also thinking about materials in a more holistic, broader sense as well, just because we won't, we want to get rid of plastic straws doesn't mean that paper straws are now the hero of the day. You know, where is this paper coming from? Is it coming from ancient forests? It's still single use, you know, whereas you can get a bamboo straw and use it over and over and over again. So it's about thinking about all of materials in their life cycle and our quality of life, which often go hand in hand because bleach paper, plastic, is not good for the health bamboo. I haven't heard anything about it so far. So, yeah. 
Okay, well, let's talk about the bags because um, we are looking at the end of line only on plastic bags, yeah. right? Plastic bags is an end of line issue when paper bags are A, where does the paper come from? I mean, we were sold, uh, you're younger than I am, in the 80s, we were sold that plastic bags would save the world because we would stop using trees. I mean, we were sold the environmental sales pitch that plastic was yeah. better back then. It was cheaper for the grocery stores. Let's just call it for what it is. Now, it takes four times as much energy to make a paper bag as it does a plastic bag. So on the front end, it's heavy loaded with energy, water, and trees. And then on the back end, you obviously have the implications of plastic. And, um, and then they argue, by the way, by fabric bags. There was a great thing that BBC did that it said in order to get the use when it comes to energy, cost, everything out of a fabric bag versus a plastic bag, you would have to use that fabric bag 131 times mm -hmm. to equal the use of one plastic bag. Mm -hmm. So from an environment perspective, I mean, I, I shoot it to the straight that the grocery stores save more money or make more money in this whole conversation. That's what it boils down to. Uh, where's the land for you? <laughs> It's a great question. I feel like it's one that I've talked to so many times over the last seven years. It depends. Again, when you want to look at the textile element of it, it depends on the textile. Are you using a carbon regenerative crop like hemp or are you using a super water and carbon intensive material like cotton that uses pesticides and fertilizers like textiles are massive. So it really depends on which ones you are using. Yeah, I'll be the first one to say that if you're just buying a new reusable bag every time, using it once or twice, or maybe even 10 times, maybe even 50 times, and then throwing yeah. it to the landfill, and it's likely made of polyester or acrylic or nylon or well, what polyester, call, right? Oh, what they call a monstrous hybrid in the circular economy world, which is a mix of natural fibers like cotton and synthetic uh, fibers, like again, polyester. So you can't compost it or recycle it without a very high tech process. And most people don't have time for that for the return, right? Nope. Or a place to put it for that matter. Where, where would you take that? Nine out of 10 people would be like, mm -hmm. exactly. So I think when people make that argument, <laughs> I think it lacks imagination in a lot of ways because the answer isn't just a reusable bag made from or made from synthetic materials or non-organic cotton, or either way, just made from raw resources or paper or plastic. We can be a lot more imaginative than that and move towards creating bags out of the 91% of materials we're already throwing out. We throw out an erroneous amount of textiles, of plastic, of paper. And there's also a lot of places too that are are selling recycled um, paper bags. There's a minimum minimum content requirement in a lot of bylaws around the country, including here in Tofino and Euclid. I think it's a minimum of 25%. So I think it's it's about going beyond that. Like we can't just keep jump roping around the three different options and saying that's all there is. So that means let's just keep plastic bags in use because that's the most convenient, maybe from a life cycle perspective on some elements, it seems better, which I would argue against. I think in shifting to a circular economy, it means turning waste into food. We use existing waste products for the functional everyday products that we need. And that means redirecting the crazy amount of waste going into the environment and landfills to things like reusable bags. And we've done it here on the coast. We have made thousands and thousands of bags from textiles that are going to get thrown out. So it is not impossible, folks. It is very possible. Mm-hmm. Well, but we got to be vain. Our bags, our bags got to match. 
So we can't have we can't have right mismatched fabrics. I like your fabrics. imagination. Yes, they right? absolutely match. Yeah. So the uh, okay. So here, there's, this is so good. Thank you, Lily. The that's what we're looking at. We're looking at this sort of hypocritical, hypocritical low pick fruit uh, conversation around all of this. Right. It's the next. Uh, best conversation. We had a fantastic text message came into the shift last night and said, just to be clear, I can't use a single use plastic bag anymore to carry home my single use plastic see-through clamshell that holds my raspberries and all of the other single use products that are everything's boxed and packaged in, in the store to begin with. And isn't that ironic to say that, by the way, the bags are the problem. When you look at lettuce, uh, bag salad, uh, all those things, that are there, bean sprouts, you name it, bok choy, it's all there. It's all in wrapped in plastic, nice and clear, so you can see it, and it vanity kicks in, it looks pretty, with the pretty lights in the grocery store, and then we buy it. So yet, you can't use a single-use clamshell, right? Mm-hmm, that's right. You can't. T- you got to take it home in a plastic bag, because it's also single-use, but one is okay, the other is not. Yeah, it's a really good point. And it brings up a few thoughts for me. I think, first of all, it's important. I don't want people to get disillusioned when people make these kind of black and white statements where it's like this or that. We're doing this, so we can't do that. So, you know, banning plastic bags is irrelevant or not appropriate or perhaps not the most impactful. So that's one that's one element. These single-use plastics, the six that were identified, they are the least recycled. A clamshell is often made from resin, plastic resin number one, number two, um, like HTPE. And so that is a higher recycled, more higher, higher recycled than LDPE, like plastic bags. So there's that element of it as well. Like all of these items have been assessed according to a waste hierarchy and the ones that are the lesser value, like straws and bags that we do fund in the environment more, landfill more, they're the least recycled, they're the first to go. Does that mean that there are not gaps and that there is not an incredible amount of work to do? Absolutely not. So Surfrider Foundation We've been campaigning on many different types of plastic materials for many years, and we'll be the first to say that there are many gaps in this plan. But I think when by the plan, I mean the federal government announcement on the ban on six single use plastics. Um, But it is also important to congratulate and also recognize that this is a victory, but it is a humble beginning. This is not over. It is not time for us to just loosen up the brakes and be like, yeah, everyone just enjoy your clamshells. We're all just going to keep using all of these different items. It's the opposite. We need to continue to apply pressure because this is one drop in the plastic bitumen barrel (laughs) among so many changes that we need, you know, so at Surfrider, some of the things we've been talking about since the announcement came out is action on lost, discarded and abandoned fishing and aquaculture gear. Also, that's the biggest, isn't it? In the ocean, that's the biggest by volume. Yes. Also, nurdles, also one of the biggest in the oceans. Also, cigarette butts by number. That is the that is the highest that we find on Canadian shorelines and just across Canada in general in cleanups in urban areas, remote, you name it. So by number, it's always cigarette butts. So none of these things are being talked about. So we need to continue putting on the pressure to achieve more drastic changes. Because as we know, the climate crisis, the environmental crisis, the biodiversity crisis, all of these things that are interconnected socially, ecologically, it is not some abstract future. It is here and it is now. And we are the ones that have to do something about it. Now, I know that, you know, there are elements of the plan that you take exception to. Like you said, I mean, it's a start. 
It's not the end. It's a start. Um, I would like you to speak to uh, biodegradable plastics and the leaching that comes from that, just so people can understand, because they'll always say, just use a biodegradable plastic. So um, those ones, so speak to that just briefly, if you could. Um, but I guess I go back to here. It's really great that we say no more plastic forks and knives. Is that the problem, or is it the fact that the government still collects taxes from all of the delivery companies that are constantly doing takeaway food, right? The drive the drive through mentality, if you will, the t- which is becoming the takeaway mentality. Um, that all of this food is being delivered and shipped out. I mean, to me, if you want to make a big impact on everyday food, stop doing ketchup packets on demand thrown in the bag. Ask for ketchup. Ask for mustard. Just ask for it. Don't throw it in the bag, right? I mean, those kinds of things to me would be way more impactful. Mm -hmm. We sit here at home and we, we call in to Skip or Uber Eats and whatever, and we order all this food, and it comes with piles of ketchup and extra forks and knives and we're eating it at home exactly Exactly. right so so is it is the fork and the knife the problem or is it our habits really it's both and it's both laziness maybe it's both and i think it it's it's not one or the other and i think it's important to see it that way like we find a wild amount of cutlery in the environment going to landfill it is not necessary does that mean that the ketchup and mustard packets aren't necessary they aren't either what it also what it comes down to is that we overall need to shift to systems for refill and reuse that is going to get rid of all of these unnecessary products and packaging that uphold the linear economy that currently describes the way that we're operating in Canada and most mm-hmm. a lot of countries around the world, a lot of Western countries. So shifting to refill and reuse across the board and including for delivery is massive. And it's not I think a lot of people think, oh, that's impossible, that's, you know, far-fetched, but there are already models that have been developed for refill and reuse delivery in places like Australia, places like Europe that work very well. It's just a matter of figuring them out and doing it because like anything, it takes time to figure out the little logistics, you know, to change behavior, to educate people about it. What matters is starting it. So again, another thing that needs to happen is, creating subs putting subsidies and putting other resources and building capacity for refill and reuse instead of again just more single use so again coming back to the comment of this is a great start but it is a drop in the bucket and so much more needs to happen and it needs to happen quick well i was next to a mcdonald's one day i was driving from vancouver back to calgary we had to get going so i flew in jumped in the car was driving back it was that simple we went to get gas Knowing there was the 25 cent cup tax on takeaway cups, I just said to my son, we'll go buy some Gatorades in the gas station. Just go buy us burgers because at least I can pay the deposit, recycle the deposit. I know where that's going. Or I go give that business 25 cents times two on some cups that are waxy that are going to end up in the garbage anyway. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, some of these ideas are just flat out terrible. Really. I mean, it's tax and spend and it's terrible. It's politics and it's make us feel better. How do we replace it though, Lily? I mean, we're looking at, um, you know, it's not like we're all going to carry a metal fork in our pocket because if you've ever done that and sat down, it's not very comfortable. Uh, but how are we going to, yeah, no, <laughs> um, I don't know, uh, but how are we going to replace this stuff there? Cause there are places where plastic cutlery, for example, like you said about straws can come in super handy. You know, if you're, um, if you're going on a camping trip for five days, you can take your own cutlery, wash it. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're at a picnic in the middle of nowhere, um, you know, maybe that's easier. Maybe you need to change what food you're, you're bringing, whatever. I'm not saying it's good, 
by any means. Mm -hmm. But everything has has had a place and it's sort of spiraled into recklessness. I get that. So how do we do this, though? Because we don't have access to bamboo forks. There's no infrastructure available. And it seems to me, I'm asking for your professional opinion, Mm -hmm. it seems to me these rosy ideas, um, they're talking about some sort of finish line, but they haven't even decided if it's a bike race or a running race or a swimming race yet. How do we get there when there's nothing to replace it with? I mean, it depends on each product and packaging that we're referring to. I mean, in the case of cutlery, anyone listening to this, anyone generally can look online and order a cutlery pack that is made from bamboo and has its own case. Even at home, you know, you can create like a little pouch for your reusable cutlery and bring it with you. Also, pencil case actually is really great. for Yeah, that. see, there you go. Things like mm-hmm. that. There are ways. There are solutions. We have to remember that prior to the 1950s, we weren't using all this stuff. Somehow we figured it out for centuries just That's fine. That's a good statement. And good at statement, that point, Lily. the marine environment, the environment generally, our own bodies, the climate was not being plagued by this material that never breaks down. Mm-hmm. So, again, like we need to think more broader with more imagination and more radically And that like that creates more innovation. It creates, again, like coming back to the quality of life, because we are doing something that is going to create a sustainable economy that is going to be good for the environment, good for us socially. Like when you use a plastic fork that's made from expanded polystyrene, it is releasing all kinds of nasty chemicals into the food that you're eating, food that is meant to nourish you. This is the same of many different plastic materials. So again, it's like there are solutions across the board, whether it's toiletries, auto, construction, there are circular solutions and the amount of innovation and inspiration in those fields is nothing short of inspiring. Uh, styrofoam is the name of one product. What is that? Is that the polystyrene? Is that what it is? Yeah. Styrofoam yeah. is the trademarked name for polystyrene. It's the Kleenex of tissue of polystyrene, <laughs> exactly. right? So uh, I just wanted to clarify that because uh, I often say styrofoam and I don't want to bang on just styrofoam. I want polystyrene, polystyrene. in general. Exactly. Um, so here's something that I saw that might blow. I thought of you. Uh, when I saw this, uh, first of all, I'd like to just acknowledge that I still can't believe that anybody's serving food in in polystyrene takeaway containers in today's yeah. world. That one, like those to me are the obvious ones that we should have uh, taken care of long ago. Oh, completely. Uh, right. I, I just, that to me, that that's that. But I, so there was a, a, a berm that was being built for a bridge. I'm assuming they didn't have enough dirt material close by or whatever. It was in Ontario and they had built up the ground with these blocks of polystyrene, what looked like polystyrene. And so they had used it as a base, right? And stacked it up like Lego, right? And then they're putting material on top of it to build up the berm so the road could go over the thing. I mean, great news, not going to break down. So it's going to be there forever. Like as a construction piece, it should be giving you an awful long time of of uh, of sustainability and support and structure for all the things they need. So from that perspective, it's going to get a really long life, but it is being put underground. It always makes me wonder what they're going to think when they find that in the future and they shake their heads and go, I can't believe these people actually just made a bridge out of styrofoam. Oh my God. So, I mean, some of these things that you're talking about, great insulators for around your house. So maybe it's a beneficial on all the consumption of our heat and the things we do. But it's wild, isn't it? I mean, I always talk about the packaging and food that goes into the grocery stores is over the top, but it's pretty wild. It, it is. Polystyrene is also one of the biggest 
materials by volume. If not, I would say from some cleanups, it's 50% of what we collect. Other cleanups, at 75% of what we collect across the Surfighter network. And I know the rest of the many cleanup groups across the country will say the, say the same or something similar. It There is so much that is made from it. And ironically, so much in the marine environment that's made from it, including docks. You know, tons of docks have, uh, floats, just similar right? to that bridge, unencapsulated uh, unencapsulated foam below it. And it's a wildly unstable material. If you go to any remote beach in this area on the central west coast of the island, anywhere on the island, anywhere actually in coastal BC, if you go and just dig around anywhere, you're going to find little beads of foam that breaks up and it is impossible to remove. Like this is this is a, a vestige of this consumerist world that we are going to be finding for, unfortunately, an unimaginable amount of time. So one of the things, again, that we're doing at Surfrider is working to replace these docks with encapsulated, more durable materials that aren't going to be leaking out foam all day, all night long, little beads that look like food for all kinds of marine species, as well as, of course, working to ban it uh, across the food service and food retail sectors. I um, couldn't agree more. Anybody who's ever opened up like an electronics piece at home and then the foam breaks apart in your living room? And then you find it for weeks. Imagine oh, that on a much grander scale, right? Oh, it is scary. Anyone, anyone who's, I, I think one of the a big thing that people can do is just go and do a cleanup because as soon as you see firsthand the pollution and you put your hands into the sand or the earth or the water, whatever it may be, and you see polystyrene, you see all of these plastic materials, cigarette butts, lost fishing gear, you know, it is devastating. This, this is our home. Why do we do this? Yet so many of us are dissociated from it because we don't see where our waste goes. We may not see the pollution. We don't see, you know, where our water or electricity comes from. So to close that dissociation gap, getting out into the field and seeing it is life changing. And that is such a big part of getting people into this movement is going and seeing it firsthand. So I recommend everyone go (laughs) and... (laughs) Uh, what do we call it? The uh, hashtag five minute beach cleanup or take three for the sea, whatever you do, just get out there and you'll see it. Yeah. I love that. Um, what do you do when you go to the grocery store? How do you do it? I mean, you've got to get as much life out of whatever you're using. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes you run in and grab something quick. Sometimes you <laughs> have your preparedness and all of your stuff with you, you know, packed away and you're ready to go. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, how do you deal with it? Just like uh, not from any judgment, just from the reality of, of trying to make it all work. How do you, how do you yeah, make it work? Yeah, of course. So on a very realistic level, I am, there's no such thing as a perfect environmentalist. Sometimes I'm like, even I do environmental work. Is that who I am? I don't know, but we won't, we won't philosophize. philosophize <laughs> it's a much bigger conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Hey, it's all the same thing, but, right? We all have, we're, we're not perfect. That's why we're doing that. That's why we're talking about store, this. Like, there's single use plastics I have to buy. There's different Tetra packs that I buy. Am I trying to hide it under all of the different produce that I'm buying so the people in the towns where I am don't see it? Absolutely. I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, if anyone sees yeah. me with this, if I have a friend get me a coffee and it's not, it's, it's a single use little mug, I will be, I can't walk around. I'm like, no one can see me with this. You don't understand. Yeah. But again, like you have to do your best. You know, for me, that looks like I don't use any produce bags. I don't use any single use plastics in the grocery store or again in food service as much as possible, like trying to avoid as many plastics as I can. And when I do have to use plastics, using ones that have a higher recycling rate in my jurisdiction. And this does happen to change a little bit depending on where we live. So 
I try and do that. And I think it's important for everyone to do the best that they can in the circumstances that they have, because this is not just an individual problem. Most food and beverage items that are the cheapest are packaged in plastic. That's what a lot of people can only afford. So we can't put shame on people for not having this plastic waste-free lifestyle while trying to trying to live right no exactly that's not right but that does seem to happen a lot and that's really not fair what has to happen it needs to happen at the regulatory level so that we create this shift as a society and make it feasible for all people to participate in these systems for refill for reuse that it is not a privilege to have a zero waste lifestyle that is also not only good for the earth but also very good for your own health your own well-being mentality, et cetera. So that's a point I always try to make in this is like, we have enough shame in our society as it is. We need to move away from that. It is divisive. It is toxic. We don't need to shame each other about it. We need to realize that this is circumstantial and we need to create systemic change, which involves, you know, right now on the topic of the federal government, putting in more drastic changes to address plastic pollution and making it equitable for people to participate in a zero waste society. We can't talk about it today because we really need six months or a year to be able to look back and say, you know, is it working? How's it working for everybody, right? So we need time for that. So we don't even need to bat that ball around. And I, I there was a, a friend of mine who had posted about going to want uh, to buy an electric car. Like I was ready. I wanted to buy an electric car. I went to check it out. It was an 18-month wait plus $20,000 more than the other version of the car that wasn't electric. And so the answer in the, te- in the, the tweet was... I guess electric's just going to have to wait a few more years, right? <laughs> so it's unattainable for so many people. Uh, the systems are not set up to work properly. I don't like it. I, I really don't. Do I think that we need plastic straws? No. Stop. Why are we arguing over paper straws? Just stop using the damn straws. Just stop using and it. Again. By the way, you had no problem with 30% more plastic on your coffee mug lid. So why are you worried about a straw now? So, you know, like if you're going to be a hypocrite, at least own it. Yeah, Yeah. I think when we get into like these little, again, if it's for ability reasons, if people need a straw and we want to talk about the nuances of that and making sure that these regulations are not ableist, 100%, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But if people want to argue around, you know, is the plastic bag being going to have an impact or not? I think it's, I think it's a waste of time. I think it's a distraction tactic. Yes, we should have gotten rid of plastic bags 10 years ago. Many other countries did. Many other countries did, and there is so mm-hmm. much more work that's needed to make an impact. So let's stop wasting our time arguing against each other over single-use plastic dramas. Like, they need to go. We've always known dramas. that. It is the bottom of the barrel. There yep. is so much more work that we need to be invested in. So let's call each other in to do that good work. And people can join Surf Riders for a volunteer-based organization and always looking go. for more folks to make waves of change with us. Listen to that sales pitch. Man, that's good stuff. I love it. Uh, Surfrider Foundation. It's so funny you said that. What's good? You got to do it. That's good. You believe in it. I I mean it. You have to because um, look, Surfrider, the Pacific Surfrider, which is based out of Tofino where Lily is. I mean, there's other Surfriders in other places, just so you know. So if you're listening somewhere else, you can look it up. Uh, That's very important to have. And And I think that this is... This is so important the way you talk about it because it is about making change and being inspired to make change. We don't even have to agree because some of us might use these things, some of us might not, some of us might care, all that stuff. But the reality, and I I always stand by this because I grew up in Fort McMurray. 
I'll always defend the how far Fort McMurray's come, and even the people in Fort McMurray will say, we've got a long way to go. They have come so far since when I moved there in 1984. It's staggering. The stuff you hear about uh, all the, the terror, like that guy at the F1 race, the, the guy who's sponsored by Saudi Aramco, oil co- the worst oil company, like, environmental record in the world complaining about oil sands look the reality is is that fort mcmurray was one of the first places to ban plastic bags in canada years ago so you know let's celebrate all the good work that people are doing right and and make sure we get there and uh absolutely and and sales pitch for lily a little bit on the surface not a sales pitch just the <laughs> just the art of bringing people in but you make a really good point and i don't want people to think like oh this isn't good enough no we really it is important to thank and congratulate thousands of canadians who have made this clear over so many years indigenous nations environmental province from coast to coast who have been lobbying and advocating for this issue also media sources like yourself who've been amplifying it for many years this is a people's victory and we need to recognize that and feel that because that is a huge part of climate activism of active hope that we need for the long haul of this journey mm-hmm. and if the government's going to uh, do this they better be ready to be held accountable for doing it properly providing solutions that work and making it reasonable for everybody including exactly. the people that still need it another conversation for another day because it is unresolved dog poop bags <laughs> oh Right, that so, and the bioplastics. We never got to that one, and there's actually get so many bioplastic dog poop bags. It is right. Runs the and it's not good. Can we just leave it there? That like the bioplastics uh, create their own set of problems. Can we just? Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, it's, they're not Oops. included in the federal regulations. So yeah. But we could spend another hours talking about it. It's we'll one I we'll love save that for a couple it's weeks. A wild one. Let's do it. Sign me up. <laughs> All right, Lily is here. Um, I'll link to your Pacific Surfrider on our shiftheads.ca Facebook group so people can go there and learn more about it. And if that's not for them, maybe it'll inspire them in their own local groups too. That's cool. Even if it's just a roadside garbage cleanup, thumbs up for that. Look, we can all be more responsible. It's just that simple. There's a lot of things that are just being done wrong. Um, and it doesn't mean we have to blow up our lives to get there either. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This is the Shift Podcast. It's time for the World of Weird Things with Greg Fish. Welcome to the World of Weird Things with Greg Fish. Where's the best hot dog in California? Oh, that's that's a great question because there's a lot of really good hot dogs. Um, I would say that probably my favorite, there's a place called Dog House in L.A., and usually if I want a dog, that's my go-to because they have a lot of different types and a lot of different uh, things that I would do with it. They have a dog called the Thai Fighter, which is basically Ooh. like a Thai spiced hot dog with a little bit of hot peppers and uh, spicy sauce and all sorts of like really good seasonings. That's, that's one of my favorites. The Thai Fighter. What a great name for a hot dog. You got Ryan really excited there for that one. Ryan, is uh, downtown Calgary's Tubby Dog closed now? Because that was also very, very good. Did that one close down during the pandemic? <sighs> yeah, the tenant kicked them out. They're, so they didn't go out of business, but they don't have a home. But it was like, oh. the, it was an iconic hot dog. Like bacon wrapped, really? deep fried. The A-bomb was the best. Bacon wrapped with uh, all dressed chips, uh, mayo, cheese, ketchup, mustard, olive, not olive, sorry, green onion on a massive bun. Oh, it was the best. 
Here we go. All this hot dog talk's got me very, very hungry. My goodness. Okay, worldofweirdthings.com is where you can find Greg Fish's blog, and he's got the podcast on there, too. I always get a little scared when Fish says things like this, but um, when he wants to talk about anger, um, rage, and all those things, I'm always a little scared, Fishy. Where are we going? Well, I was going to talk about anger, but now I just really, really want a hot dog. I'm just, I'm going to be really honest with you. Um, No, so here's the thing. I I did want to talk about anger, but I did want to talk about, I want to talk about the science of anger and the psychology of it. We're going to connect some dots from some of the segments that we've done before when we talked about uh, things like when people, how people are defining happiness, how people are defining boredom, how people are kind of trying to make the best of their lives. And anger is an important component that we didn't talk about. And there's actually not a lot of research on anger, but the research that exists is actually kind of fascinating. So the story kind of starts, or at least in the United States, it starts in 1977 when uh, psychologist James Averill of um, Amherst, of University of of, um, Amherst, I never pronounced that right. I'm just going to say that up front. (laughs) The Russian just kicks in and I can't make my tongue move the right (laughs) way. Um, But yeah, so he surveyed this, this very typical town at the time called Greenfield, Massachusetts, had a population of 18,000 people. And he basically sent them a big questionnaire of like, what makes you angry? Like he was expecting a tiny little response. You know, whenever you send a survey to thousands and thousands of people, you usually respect, expect responses of like, you know, 1%, 3%, 5% if you're really lucky. No, he got thousands of responses. These people were mad. Some people had like 14 sheets worth of stuff that made them mad and angry. So it's kind of just like, wow, this is, you just opened this Pandora's box and everyone's like angry all the time and they're just pretending to be happy. And there's this rage simmering under, uh, you know, your typical uh, small town facade. Uh, but the reality is that what he found is that anger is actually a very productive thing the way that it was used. So people essentially used anger to say, hey, I'm really unhappy with something and I'm going to go and solve this problem. And that is basically normal. That's essentially what it is. Um, And it sounds really odd that anger is healthy because in our current society we're always encouraged to be like this psychotically happy 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 all the time nothing bothers us we're always happy we're always content etc 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 so to hear that well no it's it's okay to be sad sometimes and yeah if you feel angry about it you should really you know you should really address that and you and you should be angry about certain things and you know again like as as an american right now living through the stupid ages of of this particular country right now um there's lots of things to be upset about but that's not a bad thing necessarily there's a point where anger becomes a problem so what i wanted to get into is how is how can anger be done in a healthy way and where it crosses the line how do we know it crosses the line and finally what do we do about it when it does cross that line this is so good i love this stuff i don't know what you want me to, i don't want to i don't want to ruin any of your your things because i want to talk about anger i want to talk about happiness i want to talk about all those things so i'm gonna i think i'm going to i'm gonna sit back i'm gonna let you go with it and then i'll contribute in a little bit 
Absolutely. All right. So let's start with the simple facts. When is anger good? So anger is a very normal response in all social mammals and all social animals that basically says that certain um, certain norms have been violated. It's our mechanism to say, hey, something is wrong here and I need to go out and fix it. Um, this can be, you know, yes, in humans, it's, well, I got passed over for this promotion or someone cut me off in traffic. In animals, it's, you know, well, this person stole my, this, uh, the, this pack member stole my food or this, this human um, threw a rock at me or something of that nature. Like that's, all of this is normal. Like we should be able to feel the full spectrum of emotion. And then the other big deal when social animals feel anger, they usually try and settle it. Now that depends on the animal and a lot of animals solve it with violence. But in our case as humans, because we are technically supposed to cooperate, we try to settle it with mediation or we try to settle it with some sort of competition or contest uh, and, and things of that nature. And again, this is all normal. This is all healthy. This is part of the normal conflict resolution uh, process. We should feel angry when certain norms are violated and we should be using that anger to address those norms. The problem becomes when the anger doesn't have that resolution. That's when we start kind of losing control. And that kind of brings me back a little bit to what's going on in the United States. Now, I can't speak for Canadian politics because I don't live in Canada. I, I have friends in Canada. I had, there's, I had family in, in Canada for, for oh, a long we're time. friends. Yeah. Well, and I also have... <laughs> I also have more friends in Canada. I'm just. <laughs> That's good. But we can be oh, friends too. Man. Thank you, Fishy. You're most welcome. Uh, but so, so I, I do, I do try to follow things along. But again, I don't want to speak for Canada, but I can speak for the United States. And one of the biggest things in the United States that causes a lot of political problems is unresolved directionless anger. We have a media that wants us to be mad at each other for ratings. We have people who are basically bored out of their minds with this kind of very sedentary, suburban, commercialized lifestyle that we encourage them to lead without really giving them the room to pursue their passions and, and, and find their hobbies and do something that they feel meaningful. So they find things to be mad about because it gives them something to do. These are, again, all the things that we talked about. Um, and then on top of that, we have a political party that essentially just uses rage at whatever group it is they want to go after next to keep its base energized and voting because they don't necessarily that that's what they care about they care about whipping up people's anger and pointing them in that direction so they turn on the tv all they hear is anger they come home all they hear is anger they go to work all they hear is frustration and anger and then everyone wonders uh, and then everyone wonders well why are we so upset and angry and nothing is getting solved because all we hear is what we should be outraged about and who we should be angry at we don't hear this is how we're actually supposed to solve a problem this is how we actually resolve that this is how we cross over to that um, and then the other big problem that emerges is that when you start mixing morality and politics with just very basic things like how are we going to you know how are we going to fill all the jobs that are that are that are missing how are we going to how are we going to prepare 
kids for the jobs of the future with, with the education we have now. When we pair that with these moral outrages, outrages, what happens is people feel very justified in their anger. And a new, very fascinating study from UC San Diego um, found that if you have a person who believes that they are completely in the right, in their rage, and they can and they can be violent, they can break the law, they can go after people, they can harass, they can do all sorts of horrible things, and they don't respond to punishments because they feel that the punishments are the unjust things, not their rage. So then you can't so it's like you can't reason with them, you can't punish them. You're just stuck in a perpetual cycle of anger, 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 rage, anger, rage, and problems don't get solved. And that's where we start getting these seemingly intractable problems we have now. The outrage machine is broken and it's screaming at full blast and no one's shutting it down. Okay. That's a lot. Look at you throwing out their morality and purpose and all those things that the word guy sitting here all excited to talk about it. You're um, raising the bar for me. I gotta, I, I gotta step it up. No, this is good. I love this. Okay, so how do we get? I don't want to step in on your storytelling here as well. So how do we uh, turn that around? Is there a solution to that? Because it, uh, insert this one piece. In order, in ordinary thinking, in ordinary language, in order to have right, you have to have wrong. They're one and the same because not wrong is right and not wrong is distinctly different than right. So uh, so on and so forth. They dance together. They're always going to be together, much like in order to know hot, you have to understand what is cold. So they both coexist. Right and wrong have to coexist. Now, the problem in conversations when you get into perspective is that you can have two people in a conversation that are right. And I'll give you a quick story. I've told this story on the shift before. So if you've heard it before, forgive me. Kid walks into a classroom. Sits down. Teacher says, what color is the sky? The kid says, gray. The teacher says, no, it's blue. The kid says, no, it's gray. The teacher says, no, it's blue. The kid gets up, opens the blinds. It's cloudy. So what? who is wrong? In that case, they're actually both right. The question was wrong. Because the sky doesn't have a color. The sky appears blue unless there are clouds in front of it. So it's usually language and accuracy that loses the fact that in most conversations, two people can be right. So how do we get to that point, Fish, where two people can be right in a conversation where you're that mad? Believe it or not, it's actually really, really simple. Um, and I'm going to quote my dad, who had this wonderful, very simple thing to say whenever I get frustrated, when I have to handle some really delicate or complicated social situation, he would just tell me, hey, they're just people too. It's as simple as that. You have to realize that you're not sitting across from monsters. You're sitting across from people. People may be capable of saying and doing monstrous things, but at the end of the day, they are people. And there's a lot of things in our evolutionary makeup and a lot of things in our body language and communication that allow us to connect with people on a fairly deep level when we talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. So what we need to do is we need to just talk to them like people. Now, the, the, the other big thing that we need to do on top of that is to realize that, yes, right and wrong coexist, and we can both be right in the conversation, but we can also both be wrong. So that's another really important thing. When I go into a lot of conversations, when I go into a lot of debates, I have it in my mind. Okay, if you can prove X, Y, and Z, then I am wrong in my position. And I will tell them, this is what it will take to change my mind. If you produce this evidence, 
I will admit that you're correct. So if we set the rules for these conversations, for these debates, to say, this is what will change my mind, no backseas, this is, these are the rules of the debate, No backseas. we all of a sudden start developing, okay, this is right, this is wrong, we're on the same page here, we're not on the same page here, and we're talking like normal, rational people. We don't have those those media and political voices screaming in the background, pointing us to imaginary enemies. We're actually talking to people and trying to solve problems. And I think that's that's another big thing that we need to that we need to figure out. Because one of the things that being constantly angry at others does is it robs those people in your mind of their humanity. You don't think of them as people anymore. You just think of them. Um, as enemies. Um, and at the end of the day, I think the biggest, um, th I think the biggest separation between people in hyperpolarized societies in the West right now isn't right or left. It's having empathy and not having empathy. There's people who believe, hey, I, I still, even if I win this election, even if I have all the power, I still want you to have clean water, good jobs, proper education. I want you to have like the proper infrastructure, everything that you need. And people whose only goal in life is now when I win this, I'm going to punish you for existing. That is that is the big divide, that, that empathy divide. So that brings us right back to the whole notion of they are just people too. You have to start thinking of them as just people. It's worldofweirdthings.com if you want to check out the blog and the stories and the podcast, too, from Greg Fish. Uh, thank you, Greg. That's absolutely fantastic. I love the passion behind it, too. I would like to add a couple of things uh, to that. Uh, we can't confuse our language when we say right and wrong and correct and incorrect. Right and wrong is morality of stories and expectations that we've been told and expected to believe in and behave in a certain way. Correct or incorrect is factually accurate. So correct or incorrect um, and right and wrong, we get that wrong all the time as people in our lives. People will say, you know, um, is two plus two four? We'll say, yes, that's right, which is proper, but it's actually not effective. Correct incorrect. We don't use the language properly because right and wrong has nothing to do with this. I would challenge this to your to your state and say that there in fact is no wrong. That well, wrong doesn't it, exist. If you put it that way, I would have to agree. This is why you're the words guy. So I, well, what I'm trying, I don't disagree with anything that you said. All I'm, I'm trying to create some clarity for everyone who's listening. If you can imagine a world where nobody is wrong, because you are right in your perspective, whether it changes or not, sure, but your perspective is your truth. Therefore, you are correct in your truth. You are. It just, it doesn't mean it's accurate and it doesn't mean everybody agrees. And you can have two people in a conversation where right is there. Let me break it down nice and simple into language as the words guy. I got to be in my integrity too around all of this. Mad is sad in disguise. So if you ever feel mad, why are you sad? And we are sad usually because of attachment to an outcome that we didn't get. And so usually that's where it comes from. And it presents itself exactly like Greg said. It's so important that we do that. Truth, accuracy is so important to understand the difference between it. And facts also is dances in there too. And to Greg's point, when people could realize that both of those people that are mad at each other in Greg's story are doing fundamentally the same thing in their belief system. They're trying to protect their country. They might have different methods, different belief systems, 
But fundamentally, they're trying to protect their country, and it starts there. And I did get this incredible uh, notion this week, and we'll take it from here and just pass this on because that's a lot of mad and angry and gah. Then what it becomes happy. And people say, I, I am happy. Well, you're not happy. Um, you, you aren't happiness. Happiness is an experience, like joy. You can not know your joy. I can experience your joy, but I will say this to you. Imagine this in life because it's Good News Tuesday, and we'll finish this way. Don't imagine happy as a destination to get to. Happiness is just your companion. And if you can create happiness as a companion in that journey, you might be able to see the empathy for everybody around you, as Greg Fish mentions. Fishy, thanks for being here, buddy. Always a pleasure. Great way to tie it up. This is The Shift Podcast. Are you okay with Diet Coke? Are you okay with Diet Coke? No. The taste of Diet Coke is... is the worst it's disgusting it's so bad like my mom would always have it in the house the caffeine free version too which is even worse and i i would always just oh i want a coke but it's only diet or whatever i'll have a diet and i would like it would it's like a gag reflex for me and really i'm allergic to aspartame so not only is it disgusting it triggers migraines for me, I will get a migraine if I drink that stuff. So keep me away from the Diet Coke. If you want to have it, that's fine. I think it tastes like battery acid. Now, I read this on the internet. And when I say I read this on the internet, I didn't. I made it up, but I'm blaming it on the internet. If you add Canadian Club to that Diet Coke, I heard it uh, doesn't give you migraines. Really? No, not really. But yeah, good. I was gonna say I've heard that combination for a drink is excellent. That's yeah. that's fine. And people, that's the thing, you know, people who like Coke, you know, they like Coke, but they probably drink other pops. But if you like Diet Coke, it's the only thing you drink. Like Donald Trump, who had a Diet Coke button in the White yeah. House, he literally yeah. had the button on his desk that would get someone to bring him a Diet Coke. That's great. Uh, yeah. Diet Pepsi. See if, if you're gonna if you're gonna drink the mixed cocktails like that though. And the highballs, you got to use the diet because then you can taste the liquor more. Uh, Mark in Winnipeg says Diet Coke, thumbs down, barf emoji. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Sugary drinks are great, but they are pretty bad for you. Going the diet route is an option, but then you are you drinking all the chemicals with that? I don't know. But if, if there was another option, what would you do? What if there was a healthy alternative to Coke? Well... There is one. It just tastes a little bit weird. Here's my dream girl, CNN's Jeannie Mose. What do you get when you combine balsamic vinegar and sparkling water into a beverage and tell folks... It tastes like a Coke. What you get... Oh, God! ...is a lot of this. <coughs> gagging and scrunched up faces. 
A California actress named Amanda Jones hatched the idea on TikTok, saying she got it from her Pilates instructor. I did not think people would get so riled up over a fun drink. Was it the part about vinegar and sparkling water tasting just like Coke that got folks? Not a no, but a hell no. I don't know what y'all think Coke tastes like, but do not insult it like that again. She says she's been drinking it for two years after my first sip with plain sparkling water and vinegar. I switched to a flavored water with vinegar. It does taste like Coke a little bit. Amanda's getting more than a taste of negative comments. I think this should affect your credit score. That was my favorite. <laughs> excellent that's a good one wow. save that one that's a that's that's nasty uh genie mouse is uh, i got a big crush on genie mouse sorry um ronda Kalasho, a los angeles-based doctor of dental surgery and ceo of truglo modern dental practice in beverly hills told fox news digital that vinegar contains acetic acid thanks doc which is bad for your teeth. Kalasho said she recommends just carbonated water over healthy Coke because the latter is not great for your teeth or for your guts. Like, come on. Yeah. It's just, I don't understand how you make that. This is what bubbly and all of these, you know, sugar-free tasting drinks are for. You can have the soda experience with that's basically just nothing, just flavor, right? I, I Perrier or the sodas, the soda streams. That's what this is for. Not balsamic vinegar and oh, soda. I kind of do want to try bad. it though. Just to, no. just to you see go how ahead. bad it is. You go I'll, ahead. Yeah. I look forward to yeah. I'll post I'll it. See it on your TikTok. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be mm-hmm. on TikTok. Yeah. All right. Uh, eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. I agree with Ryan Co- Ra- with Ryan Coke. <laughs> I agree with Ryan, uh-huh. comma Diet Coke is revolting. How about Coke Zero? Do you remember Jolt Cola? Oof, I remember Jolt Cola. Crown Royal and Diet Coke. Thumbs up. Uh, I don't know vinegar. Like really, don't think so. Are you okay with? I like the summertime barbecue, so I'm going to go with this. Are you okay with the barbecue cookout? Yeah. It's, it's like the, the best. If the weather isn't too hot and you all just sit in the backyard, you have a Coke, perhaps a normal one, not a mm. whatever that was, uh, yeah. or a beer, and you wait for the hot dogs, like we've said a million times, barbecued hot dogs or something special, that's the epitome of what summer is and should be right there. Mm. All right. right Rob Fay. Are you okay with a summer cookout? Absolutely. I mean, foregone conclusion. And by the way, when it comes to hot dogs, guys, I spent 15 years on a minor league baseball bus going to some of the best hot dog venues on earth. And I can tell you, the corn dog reigns supreme. Really? Still. Anything deep fried. You can deep fry anything, but a corn dog, it's a gift from God. Oh, wow. That's bold. You need to uh, come to the Calgary Stampede because they deep fry everything. Um so okay, well let's okay let's continue this. Are you okay with the the cookout? Let's twist it this way. Has this ever happened to you? Excuse me, sir. What are you doing? I'll tell you what I'm doing. I want to buy eight hot dogs and eight hot dog buns to go with them. But no one sells eight hot dog buns. They only sell twelve hot dog buns. So I end up paying for four buns I don't need. So I am removing the superfluous buns. I'm sorry, sir, but you're going to have to pay for all 12 buns. They're not marked individually. 
Yeah. You want to know why? Because some big shot over at the Wiener Company got together with some big shot over at the Bun Company and decided to rip off the American public. Because they think the American public is a bunch of trusting nitwits who pay for Any things security. they don't need rather than make a stink. Well, they're not ripping off this nitwit anymore because I'm not paying for one more thing I don't need. George Banks is saying no. Who's George Banks? Me! Now, when you go to the ballpark like Rob Fay, the hot dogs come with one bun, one wiener, one bun. That's the way it goes. Now, for ages, you would go and the weenies would come in packs of eight and the buns were in packs of 10 or 12. Well, first world problems, hashtag life is hard. It's over. Heinz Ketchup and Wonder Bread have partnered to make a deal. And that deal confirms buns will finally come in packs of 10. Wasn't that what they were coming in before? <laughs> Earlier this year, 33, I think that's a typo, 33,000 people signed a petition demanding the change. National Hot Dog Month is coming up in July. A whole month, you'll be able to find the new limited edition 10 packs of buns from Wonder at select Ontario grocery stores. Wait, limited? Yes. This amazing thing is a marketing strategy, and your wieners will not match your buns uh, coming up. Rob Faye, where is the best hot dog at a ballpark? Boise, Idaho. And it's actually not close, guys. How about this? You get your sweet bread bun, shredded potatoes, then they put cheese on it that melts, fried onions, then the wiener, and then more cheese. And then you go and top it. I mean, it's 1,000 calories minimum. Like, half of, half of it's 1,000 calories. But Boise became the home of the potato. It's fantastic. And it is, uh, you can't eat two. I feel full just hearing the story. I mean, you could, but you I need a Diet hungry. Coke to wash it down. Oh, oh, you could no. do like those racing guys who dip, who do the dip, and then they stuff it in their face hole. Oh, yeah, the guys <laughs> at the baseball games. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, they, like they do the races. Yeah, that's gross. I don't know how they do that. Uh, okay, well, I'll tell you what. Um, like we got time for one more here, I'd say. Are you <laughs> okay with... <laughs> It's right, premature. Are you okay, Elation? Um, are you okay with 911 dispatch? I have never had to call it, and I really hope I never have to. Knock on wood. Yeah, I have had to call it. Uh, which, by the way, I called it by accident once. And, mm. um, and then so I sat down and my butt called 911. And so I, I, I was like, what's that sound? And I pulled my phone out of my pocket, and it just says 911 ringing. Oh, no. So I figured, well, don't hang up at this point, right? You might as well stay. 911, what's your emergency? Uh, yeah, hi, my butt just dialed you. I just didn't want to hang up and just cause a stir. Everyone's okay. And then they ask you more questions. Are you alone right now? Is somebody with you? <laughs> like, no, I'm fine. It's my butt. Me and my butt. This is my butt. I just wanted to let you know so you didn't have to call me or come back. Um, because the, um, that was my butt. Did not get in trouble. Thank goodness. Are you okay with 911 dispatch? Rob Fay, uh, a job that you would take on or a job for this special, talented, amazing people only? I can, I don't have the stomach for it. That and air traffic control, two jobs I just don't think I could ever get around and i i'm too emotional there would be a problem and i'd probably like lose it i you have to keep calm in those moments so it is a special person 
Land your own damn plane. <laughs> I'm out of here, man. I got to, I'm got. i taking my 15. Oh, man. Uh, when you call 911, you are reaching out for help in an emergency, usually, and this is probably the last thing that you would like to hear when you call it. No, I'm actually trying to see where you're at because you're a little liar. Whoa. That's cold. The Clark County Sheriff's Office is investigating that very phone call. They received a complaint from people who called 911 when they were stuck on the Mad River in Nevada. Dispatchers work to help the panic group stay as calm as possible. I know this is very hard, and I know you're worried. I have a lot of people that are trying to get in that water safely to get you guys okay. Another dispatcher talked to the mom of one of the people trapped. Somebody's going to end up dying if they don't hurry up and throw a raft or something for them to hold on to. Frustrated with how long the rescue was taking. I understand. Sometimes these things take us a little bit of time, and it seems like forever. Okay. But during the chaos of the rescue, dispatchers had to work to find out where exactly the stranded group was. 911, what's the location of the emergency? I don't know. We're in the, we're in the river. We're about to drown. We're hanging on the bushes. Where? What river? What river is this? We're by Forest Lake. Right after that, Another dispatcher says this to one of the people stranded. No, I'm actually trying to see where you're at because you're a little liar. Clark County Sheriff Deb Burchett confirmed to News Center 7 that dispatcher and her comment are what's at the center of an internal investigation here at the County Dispatch Center. How was work? It was a tough day. Wow. Holy cow, that's W-R-A-L, by the way. The dispatcher is now on leave while the investigation continues. Thankfully, everybody involved in the river incident is okay. <laughs> like, what do you... Oh, my God. Like, what do you say? That's yeah. just... You're kind of stuck, aren't you? No, I'm not wow. lying. Can I speak to your manager, please? Like, what do you say at this point? Can I? Can I escalate my concern? Man, oh man, oh man. Okay, what is the best hot dog? Seems to be a text uh, a text thing here. 877-399-9898. Before we go, though, text. I work for Calgary 911. It's hard, stressful, rewarding, and fulfilling career. I take a lot of pride in my job. Smiley face. And I admire what you do. I would say you are a very special uh, character and special spirit to be able to pull it off and to do it. Um don't think it's for me. I would agree with Rob Fay on that one. And the fact that you do that for all of us, I am for grateful. So please pass it on. Unless, of course, you're working right now and listening to the shift and texting us. That's concerning. Thanks for listening to the shift podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple podcast, Google podcast, Spotify and curious cast.ca.